Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Trot's Life. It is your Thursday edition and it's day two of our look back to 2022 and what a wonderful show we have planned. David Caffin from, he's a proud Indigenous man. He's a uh, multiple generations of harness racing and caught up with David during NADOC week. And it's well worth reliving this chat. A wonderful person. And it's a great fun chat as well. Uh, we've got Mary Hannah due to come on as well. We, we, we caught up with her only a few weeks ago. So Mary was, is a six-time Australian Olympian, and there was a lot, a lot of great feedback about this chat I had with Mary. It's not, it's mostly about her and her career and how she got involved in harness racing with Chris Lang. Andrew Littimore and Terry Sinclair as well. This is a very special story for Trot's Life and for me personally, over the last couple of years, a couple of people that in their own way, they've had it pretty tough. They might tell you otherwise, though. We met Terry a couple, two years ago, nearly now, about 18 months ago on Trot's Life. He battles multiple sclerosis. Andrew Littimore does as well. Andrew from South Australia, from down near Mount Gambia, reached out to Terry. They became friends through, uh, through Trot's Life, basically. And we, we caught up with them right around uh, our World MS Day last May. I think it's May 25 from memory off the top of my head. And what a beautiful story that they were to meet each other and they tell that story together in what is a very special moment on Trot's life. Christy Butler will also join us. Our great mate this year, Jamie Cockshut, he's been a big part of the Thursday show. We thank Jamie each week for coming on, doing his Taz Racing segment. He spent most of the year in Vietnam. The, sometimes, yep, the uh, the quality of the uh, line isn't the best, but uh, the winners are always coming from Jamie. And the stories, we've covered so many wonderful stories out of Tasmania. It was hard to choose one for today's show, but I thought... Christy Butler was the one. She trains uh, Jamie's horse, Samillion Beach, and it's a beautiful story, the friendship that her son and Samillion Beach have developed. And there's a good bit of banter too between Jamie, myself, and Christy, as there always is between Jamie and myself. So it was a great catch-up, and, and I think it honours what Taz, the Taz Racing segment has become. It's partly about Jamie, but it's mostly about the participants down in Tasmania. And we've loved having you a part of the Trot's Life show over the last 12 months. While I've got the chance, just like to thank everyone from 2022, all my co-hosts across the year, Tim O'Connor, uh, for coming on each week. Jason Bonington, who was a big part of uh, the Thursdays for a long period of time as well. Uh, Michael Howard from HRV, the behind the scenes man that no one ever seems to hear from, but does a power of work. And everyone here at SEN, all the panel operators, all the producers across the year that have assisted me through 2022. I thank them as well. The BOPS crew, which is broadcast operations, uh, led by the great man, the great man, Nims Azure, 
Uh, Sarah, the whole crew there do a fantastic job to keep this show coming out each week, a show we enjoy so much. We enjoy making it. We enjoy the fact you are listening to it as well. Well, I've enjoyed the friendships, the relationships that have developed from uh, Trot's life and where it's taken us. And we've heard so many beautiful stories uh, from the people across the years. And today we just look back at just a few of those. Again, I said it yesterday, some apologies for some brilliant stories that unable to fit into the show, the Tobias race, the Brian Johnsons, Mick McMahons, Vic Frost, Brian Healy, Graham Moon, Maureen Newbury. So many great chats during the Harness Charity Challenge as well of people raising funds for charities that mean to them. Trot's Life is, uh, particularly the Wednesday's show and, and the, the Thursday show sort of moving day it's become, but the Wednesday show's been become really the the people show, I suppose, where we get a chance to really look at the industry in a different way and, and look at the people of the sport. And, and I've really enjoyed getting to know so many of you through this show. In particular, some of our real regular uh, correspondents, the big fellas, the Stews, the Patricks, uh, just great people that we've created a real engagement with and, and, and friendships with, which... Uh, this show is bringing people together, trips to Leeton, to Juneau, to, to Queensland. I've, I've done a few trips away here and there as well, which I've been able to take you on those journeys. And 2023, I'm hoping it's all going to be relatively the same. Plenty of trips, plenty of fun, plenty of stories, plenty of great content and plenty of friendships. Welcome back to Trot's Life, and it is NADOC week, and we are celebrating Indigenous Australians in harness racing, and if there's been a bigger family that ticks both boxes than the Caffin family in Australasian harness racing, I don't know who they are, and very, very fortunate to have uh, David Caffin on the line. Dave, uh, come in, spinner mate. Uh, How are you, and whereabouts are you today? Hello, Toby. No, we're uh, enjoying this lovely weather on the uh, the east coast, on the uh, central coast of New South Wales. Unfortunately, mate, we've uh, we've got about three hundred mil in the last two and a half days. But mate, we're we're still here. You know, there's a lot more people worse off. So I'm not going to complain and bore you with that. Three three hundred million rainfall or dollars? Just just, play, just. In, in, in rainfall, <laughs> I, the three hundred would have come in handy. Don't worry about that, Toby. Would have been a couple of cartons of beer and uh, yeah, a little go on the wangers. But um, no, mate, it's uh, it's just been torrential here. We've had oh, it's been it has it's really kind of hit the industry hard here, mate. I think so many people are a lot worse off. I'm on the central coast here, but um, I'm kind of on a bit of a rise where I'm yeah. reasonably lucky. So I'm kind of I'm still functionable, mate. I'm still I'm still hanging in there, you know. I'm still hanging in there, Tove. Now I'm not sure where we'll start this, but we might go right back. I think to your grandfather, Jim Caffin, who. Uh, In the 50s and 60s, he won six drivers' premierships at Harrell Park and uh, he had a training operation there in in Sydney and uh, I think it was Granville, Onslow Street, Granville. Uh, Tell us a bit about your grandfather and, uh, of course, a proud Indigenous person he was too. Yeah, of course he was, Toby. Mate, I I, I remember the the stables there only as a child, of course. I was pretty young, you know, and the boys there. There was um, actually Granville Showground, which is Parramatta Speedway now. So 
that that's where the horses used to be trained, mate. Back then, obviously, you know, stables were were everywhere. You, you can imagine Parramatta Road would have to kind of slow up and and stop. I'm oh, trying to get a comparison compared to Parramatta Road in in down in Melbourne, mate. But um. That'd be like trying to stop the M1 freeway, you know, yeah, like, and there'd be 40 yeah. horses go, go through. But, um, mate, they had a great success and great stables there. He was a he was a master master horseman, a drover by trade, and that's how he obviously got, you know, got involved with the horses and on the farrier's side and, and had a great... Um, a, a great affiliation also with the Aiken family and George Aiken, Dave's father and and which which run the uh the bloodstock the agency and uh down at homebush the livestock i should say mm-hmm. where they'd run the cattle and the sheep in and and yeah and that's where their affiliation began but that's how his involvement in the sport but he um he, he certainly dominated mate throughout throughout the 50s and i think as you say five driving premierships and and uh four or five in succession as as a, as a trainer but just known for his um his his ability with the young horses yeah, Toby, yeah. you know which back in the 50s wasn't as 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 dominant as what we hear today you know like to have a horse broken in and gated as a as a, as a juvenile it was a pretty big thing you know <laughs> back yeah. back them days but um he, he he was a great horseman, mate, and uh, the same as you know, it all passed off to my father. Um, you know, it might have kind of stopped a little there, but uh, <laughs> but we kind of you know we 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 plugged on, mate. You can't have everything, Toby. You know, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. I was going to ask you about that because he won. No, he didn't win too many feature open eight races, but he won the three Sapling Stakes. He won the sixty-one New South yeah. Wales Oaks, like the Sapling Stakes with Dale's Gift, Great Cheer, Eden Monaro, and. I mean, he he did have some pretty good open class horses. He had three into Dominion finalists, including one that was a trotter, which I wouldn't have thought there was too many trotters around up there back then. No, no, he had um he had great success with trotters, mate. I think a horse um or I know every time I see I catch up with Dave, he talks about Hammerhead. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he was an injury plague uh, trotter, former pacer, injury plague trotter. But um, he won the Trotting Championships down at Melbourne. I think right. he was. Horse- Yep. Yeah. Um, just down on the showgrounds there at Melbourne. I'm not sure if he was off 24 or 48 behind. And it was only eight, I think he told me, that he he went down. He was first up for 12 months, won his heat in the morning, and they run the final in the in the afternoon or the night. And, yeah, he was a, he was first up for 12 months and kind of won the, the Triton Championships. But um, I think what stopped him from going in the inner dominion trotting obviously he had um he had leg problems the horse and but he was he was a great you know a terrific trotter many say you know he i think he held a, a record against the paces at penrith you know just you know, like sensational like it was 2-1 for the 2290 back in um Ooh. in the late 60s sort yeah, of yeah. thing Toby, yeah, yeah. So he he was a great trotter, and he did, he had a couple of I think open class horses, Eden Monaro, and of course um, he actually bred Don't Retreat, bred and sold him, um, and then he got him back later, and the father too. Like um, I think the horse done the rounds, like, but he was a, he was a terrific pacer, kind of terrific in a Dominion sort of horse, racing a Miracle Mile and placed there. And Eden Monaro, as you said, he'd won a Saplings and I'm sure he won heats of the Inner Dominion back uh, as an age pacer. But but I think uh, he his main, he really loved the juveniles, mate. You know, he, he just seemed yep. to focus on the juveniles and that, that was a test for him. Toby, yeah. Now, 
that while we're still on Jim, the Jim Caffin play yeah. must have been some sort of an honour when we had Jimmy Brown actually on earlier in the show talking about how he came up basically with the initiative and Angler got on board. We went right through it. So what they've done there has been sensational, but some sort of an honour to the family. And, and what would Jim have said about that? Uh, he, mate, he, he'd have been stoked. He was a very humble man, but, but he really would have been stoked. Just the fact of being honoured, honoured like that, and he, he was a, a great horseman, which 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 most people most people do know. Kind of, it is a different generation these days, Toby. But mm. um, but um, oh, mate, he'd have been stoked, you know. And and hats off to to Jimmy, to Jimmy Brown, John Dumonty, and Michael Brown, who who did get it all up and rolling. You know, I I can't take any credit for that, mate. I was just kind of there, just enjoy the ride, sort of yeah, sort yeah. of scenario, Toby. And, I'm pretty lackadaisical. <laughs> I, I pitched to Jimmy that uh, Melton should do it into the into Dominion night this year as well. We should have an all Indigenous race, and uh, I reckon we could get you a ticket to that. It'd be sensational at Melton on on that uh, grand final night. Oh, mate, I, I, I'd be stoked for that, Toby. I don't venture past, uh, too far past the Central Coast, so it'd be great to kind of be like going overseas for me. It's, you know? it's, dry, <laughs> it's dry and sunny down here. Don't you worry about that. Yes. Oh, okay. Not that I'd ever kind of say anything bad about Melbourne, but we're really yeah, we're really copping the, 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 the bottom end of the uh, weather in New South Wales. And, you know, at the moment, Toby, yeah, I'd be happy to be anywhere bar here at the moment. So... So your dad, Cyril, followed in your grandfather's footsteps. And, and I'll just run you through a list. You'll have to bear with me for a minute here. 80, yep. 82, Carousel, Cinder's Way. 79, Goulburn Cup, Tartan Words. 79, J.D. Watts, Lehigh Lad. 81, Renshaw Cup. Uh, it's hard to read my writing sometimes. Something Frost. Michael Frost, is it? Uh, 79. Yep, New... would have been Yep, 79. Mm-hmm. New South Wales Derby. Run, Joe, run. 74. Queensland Derby. Don't retreat. 79. Queensland Derby. Run, Joe, run. 87. Two-year-old Gold Crown. Rocket, Jason. And 1980. Tatlow as well. Plus the 1968 Australian Trotting Championship on Hammerhead. An Inter Dominion final when second with Lehigh Lad in 1982, mate. Your grandfather is a legend of the sport, and there's a fairly good list for your father, Cyril, as well. Yeah, yeah. Listen, he definitely, he definitely was a sensational horseman all around, of course, but a sensational driver. He was a freelance driver. As a trainer, he, um, look, he he done extremely well, but he was more kind of. It was more for for the for the owner, more so. He kind of wouldn't cop too much. He'd prefer to train for. For someone he he had time for more than um you know just yeah. somebody who who was just just using you know just yeah, yeah, using yeah. for for their ability but um mate he um he he loved the uh, freelance driving side of things and he was obviously associated with so many good stables I think like you say we're talking Illsley's Joe Illsley and Kevin Kevin uh, Robinson who's got a great affiliation through like and actually related and Binskins. Which related to as there were a lot of Trotton families, you know, like Darren Vincent's second cousin, and and all through kind of marriage in the families and that. But um, there's certainly plenty of Trotton pacing in his blood, sort of thing, Davey. Yeah. So, 
So take us back to you as, say, a 10-year-old, you know, were you just off to the trots here, there and everywhere with Dad and, and just loving loving going and, and were you right in it as a, as a young bloke? As a young bloke, mate, it was a, a little bit of a, whether you like it or not, yeah, you, you were kind of in the car and I, I remember kind of, I remember being half asleep in the in his driver's bag. They'd have these old, their big leather kind of driver's bag, and you'd be like, as a kid, like you say, you'd be kind of half snuggled up there and and asleep, kind of late at night, late nights, and yeah, and it was just basically just getting carted around the trots. But we loved it, mate. Well, of course, everyone known knows Penrith for you know we've got a terrific hill there, real family atmosphere and Fairfield and. And of course, Bankstown more so. Whereas Harold Park, I, I think we, there's a Friday night always late. So mm. we, we seem to miss quite a few of the the Friday nighters, mate. But uh, we got carted around the the whole the the state, I should say. You know, with the racing in that, mate. But um, as an interest, always, you know, of course, interested in the horses, but not as not as much as people would think, you know, it was more of a hindrance. I'd be watching kind of cartoons and you'd get the call up to drive a <laughs> bit of track work when you're 12 or 13 and, yep, you yep. know, you didn't want to leave kind of the road runner or, you know, <laughs> yep, yep. Sam to kind of go and drive some horse and you'd be kicking stones on the way out, you know, and <laughs> but you'd go and work one like because one of the boys hadn't turned up or, or something along yeah. them lines, you yeah. know. <laughs> and it was just one of them things, you know, you kind of, jump off and toddle back in, you know, toddle back inside and make yourself a, a milkshake and sit down and watch the cartoons again. You'd, you'd done your you'd done your quota. It wasn't until I was probably 14, Toby, I reckon I got real keen, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a few months and we'd go, and I think it was the fact that they loved the fact of the races. We'd kind of jump in the back of the gooseneck and off to Harold Park would go and watch... Um, had a little mare at the time, well, my father did, of course, um, Lestace, and we'd go and watch her race, and, and she was kind of, well, she was the start of my breeding career. I actually did drive her once, and, yeah, what the breed I kind of breed with now too, Toby, you know, so that that got us keen, and we went and went and done our dues there, mate, and then it wasn't long after where I was kind of up out of bed and looking to drive track work instead of kind of, you know, kicking and, you know, kicking and carrying on about it. She she was no champion last day. She only won the seven races, but obviously it was important. There was another little mare as well I found. Only had the four race starts without a placing, but I think you'll say she was pretty important to your career in harness racing. It was a mare called Roxanne. Yeah, yeah, she was. Um, well, she come through. She come through like my father and myself as a um, as a two hundred dollar water debt through John McNamee, To be honest, John McNamee, a, a noted harness racing trainer driver yeah. at Only Dream. He was a terrific little filly. Um, they were good mates. My father and John. And John lived across the road, and he had a mare with Thorhan over mare called Roxanne who. She only had a few runs. That was for John, and uh, apparently they'd put a stack on her, and she hadn't performed, so they wanted to get rid of her. But they, um, and John had owed the old man a couple of hundred just for water, and he said, "Give it to her as a brood mare." So, <laughs> and which was the first horse I ever bred, a, a little filly by Tejans King, who of course um, trained and trained by my father, owned by Eddie Fitzgerald, who was a long-term client, and. Uh, 
terrific horse, Teasing's King, and it was the first horse I ever actually won my black type race on a size stakes race when I was, I think, 17 or 18. Yeah, it kind of went on to be a long story, and <laughs> I won't bore you to death with it, Toby, but some some of the horses which I bred out of there kind of really got me into the game. A horse called Rockola who won yeah. 11 in town for me. He was a, he was a terrific horse, mate. I'd kind of... you. You'd have your you'd have your your wages on him, mate. And he just he didn't he never failed the splatter. He I'd set him a couple of tasks too. He'd point him in the direction. He'd do a bit of work and <laughs> do a power of work early, but he'd keep going, mate. He he won eleven in town, and I think um, yeah, seventeen, right. sixteen or seventeen races. Yeah, I think probably thirteen places and maybe the other thirteen or fifteen times he he just yeah, we we weren't too interested. I shouldn't say that. But uh <laughs> yeah, he was he was a good horse to us, Toby. He's a really good trier, could do a bit of work, you know. So, something obviously happened. He won five of his last nine and most of them were metros at Harold Park. Yeah, yeah, he he was a great horse. I think he won three three twice and like you say then four on, on the trot at Harold yeah. Park. He done an annual ligament unfortunately. Yeah. Made he um his last start there. He he was caught wide. I wasn't driving him. I was being a little upset about the run but uh he was wide the journey and they'd run blistering time and he ran the lead straight and then you could see he just pulled up lame and done an annual ligament. So it was unfortunate. He was just on the cusp of um like, all, definitely yeah. not a like a, a good good yeah good cup horse maybe like a you know racing the truer sort of thing but uh like certainly I wouldn't say a, a grand circuit horse but he was you know when the others were kind of down I th- he would have been the sort of horse he just would have kept going yeah the nice country cup horse sort of thing Toby he would have been would have been nice you know but but, but it wasn't to be mate unfortunately that's racing as we all know it. And you're still in the sport today. That mare, Roxanne, she just kept producing winners for you for a long time. But you're still battling away in the sport today with a few, I see. I'm I'm still battling away, Toby. I've got a little horse way out west, another horse done deal. Very consistent little horses. Um, mate, and it was, I have to say, it was a little bit with the uh, the JC cap and plate. It got me back a little bit keen. I'd nearly yeah. pulled the pin. But uh, it got me back keen, mate, and I, I now kind of, we sold one at the sales, I sold one at the sales, of course, uh, in partnership with my mother, who kind of sometimes has to fund the, the, uh, the dream, but uh, we sold one at the sales last year for 30000 and um, I've got a little um, American Ideal cult now, weanling, I've just weaned off its mother, and about to go in foal, but I have got a couple of horses. They're handy little horses, mate. They um they get around there and will always kind of running in the first three sort of scenario. Yeah, yeah. Probably on just on the cups of on the cusp of uh, that way out west, maybe making a metro horse. We won't kind of put the ass, we won't put the pressure on him yet, Toby. But uh, I think he'll get there. Is that Lorraine, your mother, or is that your wife? No, no, that's my mother. That yeah. that's my mother. Toby, oh, listen, mate, I, I I don't think anyone else would put up with me, to be honest, Toby. But, um, yeah, no, that's, that's her. She's got no choice. It's family, mate. But, um, yeah. Now, I, I, asked, no. I asked this question to Jimmy. I've got a bit of a theory, and uh, we've still got a couple of minutes left. I, I think Indigenous yep. Australians are underrepresented in harness racing, and Jimmy talked a bit about creating better pathways, which is really true. And do you feel there's an underrepresentation underrepresentations with Indigenous Australians in harness racing? Oh, 
probably, probably Toby. Like as we all know, it, it's an extremely hard sport to to just kind of put yourself out there to be involved. Like unfortunately, like the, mm. the costs have gone. Just the cost of everything. Like we all we're all aware of just cost of living these days. But um, I think the cost of the, the racing it, it makes it hard for somebody just to just to just be involved and to get that start in the industry, yeah. mate. Like I, I worked a full time job pretty much all my life, Toby, and had a couple of horses. I remember I was working with a bricky crew like Narrabeen for about. Well, four or five years when I was stabled at Condal Park where I'd kind of do the run to the North Shore and like which is an hour and a half in the traffic and I'd do a trip before I left and then when I got home I'd do another trip I'd have four in work sort of thing mate and it was a it was a solid slog sort of thing you could do it while you're young Toby but it's it's yeah. it's very hard mate they should and I think um stabling on course as we all know like I've got a property. I've got a property here. It's certainly no, um, you know, no uh, magnificent establishment, but it, it serves its purpose. We we have our own track here, but I know the maintenance, mate. Just um, yeah, just up, keep everything going, mate. It, it's extremely hard, Toby. You know, I, I need to work the extra job and need a little bit of luck along the way to kind of just to keep the dream alive, mate. You know. <laughs> Well, that's it. So I, I do think we need a bit more just to help people along with these training centres, maybe, you know? Yep, mate. Absolutely fantastic to go down memory lane with you. And what your family's done is pretty amazing when you think and stop and look back at it over 20 minutes. And thanks for coming on and sharing it. And I hope I'll see you at the end of the year at, Melton, at Melton driving in a race. That'd be fantastic. Oh, we'll be there with bells on, Toby. I'll be glad to be there, mate. <laughs> All right. Thanks, David, so I appreciate much. it. Thank you. There's David Caffin, uh, one of the better bloodlines in harness racing, that is. His, his grandfather a legend, his dad a legend as well, and a proud uh, Indigenous Australian and a proud harness racing person as well. He could pretty, came through strong and thick. We're... A li- we're Let's get to the 11.30 news. The other side, a very special guest in Mary Hanna, a six-time Australian Olympian. I caught up with her not that long ago. It was only a few weeks ago, but it's well worth reliving. It was one of my favourite, favourite chats. Welcome back to Trot's Life. It is your Wednesday edition and I'm now joined by a luminary of Australian equestrian, in particular dressage, Mary Hanna. Mary, firstly, how are you and whereabouts are you today? Uh, hi, Toby. Well, I'm very well, thank you. And um, I'm, I'm actually at home today and normally out at this time working my horses. But because of your interview, we don't have a good phone there. So I'm home at this very oh, well, moment. Thank you very much for uh, taking the call and having a chat. And I suppose first we better give a bit of a background for harness racing listeners into what you have achieved in your life kicking off in 1996. And I I think I've worked out you would have been about 42 when you first went to the Olympic Games, which must have been an amazing dream come true and no doubt something that didn't happen overnight. Uh, Yes, it had been. Um, an ambition of mine for a long time but um, circumstances just meant that I wasn't in a position to really follow that to the degree that you need to do to get to an Olympics Um, but eventually yes we did make it and then I I think I said I just wanted to do one Olympic Games and 
having done one, it's a, quite an addictive thing. So um, it then was, yes, just one more, and that just one more went on for, well, it went on for six, six Olympics. <laughs> six, six different Olympics in 2000, yes. 2004, 2012, 2016 and 2020. That's but right. it's a lot more than just an Olympic Games, is it not? Like there's so much dedicated to this sport and how much time you must spend in Europe as well, you know, to compete at the highest level. Well, that's absolutely true. And, and of course, that, that was a thing that I could when I was younger when you're struggling to make a living and um, just get by, you don't have... Um, necessarily the, the time and the means to um, put in the dedication that you need to have for this. Um, so, yeah, it took me a long time to get to that point and then you've got to make the breakthrough into the top level of competition and then you've got to do it internationally. Um, and so, yeah, all those things take a long time and then it's been a, a lifetime of dedication to that goal, I guess. A lifetime of dedication and competitiveness as well. There's must be a huge competitive streak within you as well. Yes, well, I am known as being very competitive. Um, <laughs> I'm married to a very competitive man, so <laughs> competition is rather a big thing in our house, I must say. But he's been great because he's encouraged me also. He certainly has, Rob, and uh, he's got a bit of a passion for sailing as well. And is it true in 2008, the Olympics, you missed, you you endeavoured to make it in the sailing team, in the Etchell Sailing? Is that right where I read uh, that? Yeah, that's true, actually. Um, I had a brief kind of period of time, well, not brief, that brief, quite a, quite a number of years, about 10 years where I was very involved with the sailing. Um, and I did manage to, we, we got a crew together and we sailed at the World Championships in Perth with the Etchells. Yeah. Um, that was, yeah, I think it's not that many women helming boats in, in that sport um, in Etchells. Uh, I think there was one other woman out of about 75 people, 75 boats. Um, but I had some really super guys that taught me because I, I really was a late starter in sailing. Um hmm. So, yeah, I got very competitive with it for a while. I wouldn't say I was highly successful, but I absolutely loved it. And, I, I, yeah, I loved the sailing as a competitive sport. It's fantastic. Yeah, I just like how you've just got up. I'm going to have a crack at that, and we'll get to harness racing shortly. Uh, your back injuries, you've, you've suffered a little bit uh, throughout your career with back injuries? Uh, yes, I have had, and I did have to have... I had a herniated disc to have that operated on, Um should have done that a lot sooner. It made such a difference to my life. Um, yeah. and, and dare I say, you know, since I had that operation, I've been up and running and, and riding a lot better and just feeling a lot more able in my sport. So it was it was really a turning point for me to be able to... Because, you know, when you're riding horse in dressage, you really have to use your back quite strongly. Um, yeah. And the same with sailing, you know, pulling on sheets and things. You've got to be strong in your back. Um Luckily, I had a couple of blokes that were very strong, so they helped me. But um, with the riding, you just have to be able to use your back correctly and really be strong in your back. Um, otherwise, you can't do it at a top level. So that really made a huge difference for me. Now, tell us a little bit about where you're at with things at the moment. You've got a new horse, uh, Impress Tayonga, I think, a nine-year-old uh, Dutch warm bud, better known as Tommy. He's a liver chestnut stallion. So 
Uh, what happens with this? I'm a bit naive to all this, but is are you aiming at 2024 with Tommy? Uh, yeah, Tommy was purchased purchased with that very much in mind, and I have another one called Ivanhoe that I recently purchased as well because I've always tried to have two horses going because, as you know, with horses in any sport, anything can happen or go wrong. Um, so you always yep. need a bit of backup. Tommy's actually quite. I know nine probably sounds ancient in the trotting world. But uh, they're not, horses are not even allowed to compete in Grand Prix until they're eight years old. And okay. most of the top horses in the, at Olympic Games are somewhere between, say, 11 and 12, 13, 14, 15. They can go up to 18 years old um, at Olympic sport. So it's a completely different time frame. And <clears throat> the training takes so much longer. Um, and it's, not, it's just a very select few horses that actually even make it to Grand Prix, let alone into international competition. So how long would he have been in the process of training already as a nine-year-old? Would he have started as a yearling and, and it's been going all this time? Yeah, no, well, they never started yearlings. <clears throat> He's an 18-hand high horse, so um, you have to give time for the bones to develop and for the horses to develop physically because it's very hard work what they do. Um, yeah, I, I can compare it a little bit to um, to maybe a a boxer or a, a dancer. It's it's uh, that kind of muscle, more to, or you know, boxer or weightlifter. Let's say it's a lot of yeah. repetitive exercise and and takes a lot of strength to do it. Um, so we never break them until they're about three years old, and then we start the the training process gradually. And there's rules about the levels that you can do. You can only do certain levels at certain ages. So they yeah. they they start as I said. They can't even make the Grand Prix test. They can't even enter a Grand Prix test till they're eight years old because it would take at least that long for the muscles to develop and for the horse to have the strength to carry himself to do the difficult movements. Yeah, I understand. Are they generally stallions or because I would have thought stallions added further uh, complexities with them? Well, they do, but um, look, it's a real mix-up. The last two really good horses I had were both mares. Um, I have had stallions in the past and some of them can be a little bit fancy in that they don't really accept... um, the discipline, they sometimes have their own ideas. Um, yes. I love the mares because the mares have got that real staying power. They never give up. Um, and the geldings are also good, but I've got a real soft spot for mares. But this stallion's quite different in his temperament. He's got a really gorgeous temperament and he's a real trier. Um, we did our first competition the other day on that one sole day where I think it hit 35 degrees down at Werribee. Uh, where yeah. I was competing, and I, indoors it was about 38 degrees. So this poor guy's just come from Europe with his winter coat and um, had to work, and then they were running late, so I was on him for an hour in the stinking heat. And I was so proud of him because he, like most stadiums, would have given up. He didn't. He, he yeah. really to the end. So I was very pleased with that because when you go to these big championship events at Olympics and World Championships, it's usually in hot conditions, Um and the horses have to have that ability to fight on at the end and not give up. And he showed me that he had that, so that was really nice. Not just horses do that, and, and you said mare, the mares you've had have had staying power and never give up, but there's some humans that uh, could be described as that, Mary. 
Exactly. <laughs> you have to be like that to get to the Olympics. <laughs> Correct. Now, the start of the year, I saw a post you put on Facebook. Uh, I call it research. Some might call it stalking, but I call it research. Yeah. 20, 2022 is about horses, family, friends, and also forming new relationships. And I thought... That's a beautiful quote for your endeavours in harness racing. It's a, Harness racing is exactly about that. It's about horses, family, friends, and forming new relationships. So tell us a little bit about how you've come involved with owning a harness horse in Heavensville. Well, that's a really good, good story because it's, it started way back um, when we were living down in Drysdale quite a number of years ago now, quite a few years ago, not, mm. that, not that long. Um, and um, I used to teach, uh, give dressage lessons to a girl called Sharon Lang, who was the wife of Chris Lang. Yep. And Chris, at some point of his career, um, became very unwell and had to stop training for a while. And they yeah. moved down to Drysdale to near where we lived. And um, I saw Chris occasionally, we'd catch up, and he said, you know, he's kind of missing the horses a bit. And I said, look, would, I'd really love it if you came around and gave us a hand some of the mornings um, in the stables. Um, really, I wanted to pick his brains because he's such a good horseman. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so around he came, come right, and whenever I had a problem with a horse's soundness or legs or something like that, I had this particular beautiful horse called Sunset that was a bit of a problem, and he'd, he'd give me some great advice, um, which I'd always took on board. And um, so, you know, we became kind of friends through that. Uh, and then... I have another friend, another very good friend, a guy called um, Emmanuel Baldacchino. Mm. He is, um, he's been a lifelong friend. Um, he's a really interesting guy. Met him through the horses and through when I used to show some of the stallions. Um, and he's been a breeder of all sorts of things, including rabbits. He was a champion rabbit breeder. Um, okay. He's very good when he breeds anything. <laughs> he's one of these guys that goes off and studies to the nth degree of that bloodlines and things so yeah um it's i know it's a big jump from breeding rabbits to horses but he'd already been breeding warm blood horses and uh then he he for a long time had been involved in breeding the trotting horses um so somewhere back in the past i got involved with this a trotting mare that he had um and uh, she was called heavenly shadow by shadow play anyway she, she. The long and short was, we eventually decided to put her in pole. And um, Manny again was studying hard, and he um, was talking about this sire called Huntsville. It was the first season sire, and so we put the mare to Huntsville, and the result yep. was this beautiful big filly, Heavensville. Um, lovely type of filly. I mean, I, I don't know anything about trotters, but just. It, in my book, which was a beautiful big type of horse. So um, we put it all together and I said, listen, we should send her off to Chris Lang. I know Pace is not his favourite, but he's such a good guy and I admire him so much as a trainer. Um, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Because he lives near us, um, nearby to us, over near Riddles um, Creek and we're only here in Gisborne. So yep. we decided that was the way to go. We called up Chris and he very kindly took the filly for us. And, um, yeah, she came out and had her first race last week, which was pretty good, I thought. Um, oh, she went terrific. So, she, yeah, we've she, got great hopes for her. 
Yeah, she ran a great second to Sweet Bella at Maryborough in one fifty six eight. Who came out last night and impressively won again, Sweet Bella. So. I think that she's put the riding on the wall with a few good trials as well, Heavensville. So I think you're going to have some good fun with her, Mary. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah, go. Oh, it's just great to have sort of like have it all locally. And we often go around and watch her work, and it's just so nice to be, you know, have quite an involvement with the horse. Have you had a sit in the cart and a drivers yet? No, Chris did ask me should I like to do that, but. I said, no, I much prefer to be on top of them. I feel much more control on top of the horse, sitting behind there. I'm just not sure that I'm going to feel comfortable with that. I am thinking about it, perhaps maybe one day, but right now I think I'll just give it a miss. Uh, there's a, uh, a jockey named Glenn Boss who did it as a bit of a uh, joke with uh, Andy Gath, who's another trainer, and Kate Gath got him on a horse, and he was surprised at how similar it feels when you've got the reins in really? your hand sitting yeah. behind. It is so similar. It's more similar than probably what you'd expect, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I haven't completely said no, but I'm, I'll have to give it a great deal of thought. <laughs> Very good. Mary, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a bit about your journey and your background. And I get a feeling when you'll have a crack at anything, and when you have a crack at it, you do it well. So I think Heavensville is going to be a success, as uh, everything you seem to have done has always been a great success. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, Toby, and I hope your prediction's right. <laughs> Very good. Thanks, Mary. There is Mary Hannah, a luminary of... Australian Olympics, really. She's been to six Olympic Games and is targeting another Olympic Games in 2024. And I suppose it's not hard to find out how old Mary is, but she's 68. So she's looking at, uh, I suppose she'll be 70 in 2024 with her horse, either Tommy or Ivanhoe. So much goes into it. And, and there's so many uh, comparisons you could make to harness racing, I'm sure, between the equestrian and dressage discipline and harness racing. And it takes time. It takes a lot of time with those horses. That is something that uh, we hear about in harness racing. We heard it yesterday, we just believe. That was Mary Hannah, who I caught up with in only a few weeks ago. And what an amazing human being and Australian she is. And such an honour to have such a luminary of Australian dressage on and a lot of great feedback from that catch-up with Mary from, as I said, only a few weeks ago now, but well worth replaying. Let's get to a break. We've still got a big second hour of Trot's Life to come. Andrew Littimore, Terry Sinclair, Fiona Kerr and Christy Butler. Welcome back to Trot's Life. And yeah, what an honour that was having Mary Hannah join us on Trot's Life, uh, six-time Olympian. She aims for the Summer Olympics in 2024, and what an achievement that would be to make her seventh Olympic Games. That would be somewhat un unprecedented, I suppose, in the sport of equestrian. It's such a committed, such a commitment to a lifelong commitment it is to the the uh, the uh, dressage field, um, to the skill of having a horse compete at that level. She's got 18 months now, basically, from today to the Summer Olympics, 26th of July in Paris with Tommy and Ivanhoe to get them up to speed, get them qualified, and get to the Olympic Games. And 
Well, Mary, we're all behind you here at SEN Track. Everyone in Harness Racing will also be behind you as well. Still a f- still some great chats to come from 2022. Andrew Littimore and Terry Sinclair in the first half an hour from 12 o'clock. An amazing story, this one. They both suffer from multiple sclerosis and uh, they met through through Trot's life and they're two beautiful people and... Uh, yeah, Terry was on the show a couple of years ago and uh, Andrew reached out to him, a sufferer as well, and a harness racing devotee. We get Terry's story, we get Andrew's story, and then we get the story of how Trot's Life brought them together. It's one of my favourite things that's happened on this show. I couldn't be prouder of where this show has gone in some, in many regards, but this is a beautiful story of, of some beautiful people, Emma as well, Andrew's, Andrew's wife, and we tell this, the two gentlemen tell their story in the second hour. And also, of course, the Taz Racing segment, which will be a cha- a little change of speed with Christy Butler and Jamie Cockshut. We'll ca- that's, it's from 2022. It's from May 20, May 20, actually. And their horse, Samillion Beach. And it's a great fun chat, too. Welcome back to Trot's Life as we continue our look at 2022 some of my favourite chats, and this certainly off the back of the 12 o'clock news, Andrew Littimore and Terry Sinclair in what is one of the most beautiful things in Trot's life. Sit back and enjoy what's happened here. Two wonderful people, as I've mentioned. Christy Butler will join us as well, all in the second hour off, and Jamie Cockshut as we look back there, all in the second hour on Trot's Life. Welcome back to Trot's Life. I think it's going to be a very special second hour of the show. We've had Rowan Greenland on the CEO of MS Australia, and uh, we talked a little bit about the variety of conditions that there are, and very fortunate we've got two men on the line at the same time, Andrew Littimore and Terry Sinclair. Firstly, Terry, I'll go to you, mate. Uh, how are you and whereabouts are you today? Uh, good day, Toby. Um, yeah, I'm good, mate, and I'm just at home in Bacchus Marsh. Nice and relaxed, because I've got plenty of time aside for this, so I might take up a half an hour or so of your time, so I hope that's all good, mate. No, that's good. That's good. Thank you. All right. And uh, Andrew Littimore, uh, we won't hold this against you, Andrew, but I think I know where you're going to say where you are, and, and uh, how are you, mate? No, I'm going good, mate. I'm uh, just in Mount Gambier. I've finished a PT session for the day, so that's good. So what's involved? So tell us a little bit. We'll kick off with you, Andrew, and tell us a bit about your condition. And uh, obviously, many people have seen you at the track and and would have seen the photo on Twitter, etc. You're obviously uh, confined to a wheelchair. Yes, I am. Um, I've got what they call secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one because. For instance, and I know Terry will talk about his, he's got what they call relapsing remitting. So yep. this is a trot show. I'm going to make a, a trot story. What Terry has is the equivalent of a grand circuit horse. <laughs> Everyone that gets MS wants a grand circuit horse. I've got your run-of-the-mill fast class uh, MS, which is secondary progressive. So Terry's condition can go to what, I've got secondary progressive, but then the third one is primary progressive, and that's like a, a for Trot's talk, it's like having a maiden or a non-winner. No one wants one. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, 
Go on. So, so you're almost saying that you're not too bad off here with secondary progressive because you're looking at the maiden non-winner. You're comparing your, your condition as a free-for-all compared to a maiden non-winner. That's glass half full stuff. Well, with the maiden winner, non-winners, that's primary progressive. That's there's no there's no medication out for that. So that's no one wants those. All right. So 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 tell us Where about t- tell us about your treatment and and what you do in medication and and you just said a PT as well and what's involved with all that. Uh, all right. My medication is called Acrevis, and I get that every six months, and it's a intra- intravenous intra your veins in in the hospital. Um. That's the only medication I can take for secondary progressive. And then with the PT, I go and see, see Rob the PT every Wednesday for an hour session. I could be doing uh, an hour of different weights. might be bench press, it might be pull downs, it might just be using the dumbbells. Whereas today was a full hour of cardio getting me all hot and sweaty. Okay, so... The upper body stuff, obviously, uh, the people joke, you know, they do leg day, they do upper body day. Obviously, your upper body is extremely important because you use it a lot more than a lot of other people would. Exactly. And we concentrate on my upper body strength because I need to be able to wheel myself around over all terrains in in the wheelchair. Whereas my, my legs, like I said to Terry the other day, my legs are there for decoration because I can't use them as such. So, so when did it start for you, Andrew? You, you, you weren't born this way, I, I assume. And, and when did it all start and how did that all play well, out? I was playing um, high up cricket, not, not state cricket or, or top class district cricket. I was the next rung and I just had a pinch nerve leading into 2000. And, I think I was diagnosed in 2013. And uh, leading into Christmas, I had a pinch nerve, hadn't seen the doctor. He said to just rest it for a couple of weeks. Luckily, it was over the Christmas break, so a couple of weeks. Got back into cricket. Everything was fine. Then we fast forward until August the 26th, I think it was, 2013 or 14. And after two weeks leading up to that, early August, I had pins and needles that went from my left foot up across my me, me, uh, bum, bum cheeks and my and nether region. Yep. And down to me, down my right legs. And I said to Emma and my wife, I can't put up with this. So we got the ball rolling in seeing doctors and in, um, a couple of MRIs and then being put onto the neurologist. So at this point, mate, there's some, someone's got some noise or some tap running or something there in the background. Well, it's not me because I'm okay, sitting in the car. That's <laughs> Terry. <laughs> That's okay, Tez. Um, so amongst all this, uh, you had a family already started, I assume, 2013-14, or you're in the midst of, of starting a family? No, we had our eldest lad, Preston, yep. our eldest daughter, Aurora, and Emma was heavily pregnant with our youngest daughter, Zali. Yeah, okay. So you got two kids. <laughs> Mate, that must have been... So that, that diagnosis, like... And sitting there, just take us back to, to hearing the diagnosis. And you probably knew a little about MS. Like, I know a little bit about it. Like, most people sort of know something about it without knowing a lot about it. Like, just take us back to that that, sh- that shock we, of it all. 
we knew nothing about MS. We knew that Emma's got two older kids and they'd done the MS readathon. Um, yeah. But I, with the MRI results, we got the report from that, and Emma's normally big on reading it. She didn't. We went to my parents' place at the time, and Emma got the report out, or the, the pictures and the report, and gave it to my mum. And then she's put, my mum's pulled Emma aside and said, did you read the report? And it's like, Emma goes, no, I didn't. Normally she's straight on top of that, but uh, she said no. And it said in there it was either going to be motor neurons disease or multiple sclerosis. Wow. And MNDs, we know a lot about MND with Neil Denneher, so uh, you would have had to do some research and obviously some more tests to find out exactly which one it was. Yeah, we just um, got, I think we've done another couple of MRIs and it come back clearly MS. And, uh, yeah, and then we... Um, we went and seen the neuro on the Monday and he said to us, yes, it's MS. You'll hear someone from the local hospital back then and um, they'll either get you in for three days, stay over, stay in hospital for three days and get some steroids, which just numbs, numbs the symptoms and tries to restart your um, system again as such. Yeah. And then, or they'll just, get you in as an outpatient, you'll come in for a couple of hours a day to get them and and, well, and Emma and I were the unlucky ones and we got called in that I was going in that Monday night at about five thirty I think it was. So we dropped the kids off to my parents. We went into into the hospital, bit of a rigmarole to get checked in and that and then uh, that was the only time that was the first time Emma and I had been separated from the minute we started dating. Yeah, okay. Now, mate, how how long from that August 2013 was it till you couldn't walk? Um, I, I couldn't... I, so 2013 up until we've lived in Panola now for coming up four years, and it was probably two years ago from there. So when we say about 2020, I'd say, I was, it uh, told me to stop walking. So playing cricket in the in two thousand in early two thousand and thirteen to seven to six years later, six or seven years later, unable to walk. Mate, that that's yep, a, like, that's a bit of a crash course and we take a lot of people listening to this just taking things for granted, you know, and, and who knows? It it could be any any one of us tomorrow or the next day start getting those pins and needles like you did. Exactly. And it's good like I've said to Terry, because we've actually met Terry. Uh, the good thing we'll is there. no one with MS suffers the same symptoms. Yep. So so I believe it's a good conversation starter. If you've got a room full of MS sufferers, you're not going to have the same symptoms as what the next person has. Whereas if you've got cancer or something, you all go through the same, uh, the unfortunate same process. Well, well that's a great... Whereas, whereas with it... Yeah, go on. It's a great lead-in. We'll bring Terry into the conversation. Terry, I know you would be well aware of all of what Andrew said, no doubt, but uh, just just fill us in on, on how you got diagnosed and what your symptoms are. Um, yeah, no, Andrew's on pretty pretty much covered everything. No, so with me, it was uh, initially um, pins and needles um, to within three days, um, being diagnosed, they thought I had a stroke. I was in hospital, and uh, yeah, from there, 
I had a really good uh, local GP who refused um, the initial diagnosis because there was no, I wasn't given any tests, any MRIs or CT scans, nothing. And um, he pushed it. And uh, yeah, so I went from there and it was initially um, a possible stroke or possible MS um, to him pushing it with um, uh, one of the MRI special, one of the, one of the MS uh, professors. And um, he initially said, impossible. I don't think you've got it. You're, I was 50 at the time. Yeah. Um, your age, you work outdoors, you've issued that. Um, I doubt it, but we'll, we'll do another another MRI on your neck. And yeah, it was pretty much from there, from, from, from there on in. That was where the diagnosis started. And how did it change your life? I know you mentioned it last time we had you on, but it, but it had an instant effect. Um. There was a range of emotions. You start out um, not knowing about it and, um, uh, yeah, reading different things and different social media posts and this and that and um, am I going to end up and um, end up in a wheelchair? Um, my partner was going through a lot of emotions as well. So, um, yeah, so Emma, 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 Emma Andrews' wife would know exactly um, what my partner was thinking. It's like she's living that that uh, nightmare now. In, so um, yeah, I um, yeah, come. In what sense is she living that nightmare now? Um, well, that's well, not a nightmare. Well, it's it's not probably not a nightmare, but a fear that sort of like um, hovers. You know that Andrew's um Andrew's got the wheelchair. He's in the wheelchair, and um, uh, Andrew's um. Reliant on Emma, yep. um, I dare say. Um, in saying that, Emma's um, Emma's been. I've, I've met Emma and Andrew, and um, and Emma is um, just a rock. She's fantastic. It, it's it's not unfamiliar to me. I, I don't know if you heard the top of the show, but my father was wheelchair bound his whole life, so uh, he was relying upon my mother too. So. Uh, this is a good spot for a break, gents. We'll have a little break for four minutes. We'll come back the other side. We'll just change tact a little bit and, and go to the harness racing element and what harness racing's done uh, for you both at, at, through your journeys. Welcome back to Trot's Life with Toby McKinnon. I've got Terry Sinclair and Andrew Littimore on the line. And Terry, uh, to you first, uh, you got this diagnosis, and I remember last time on air you said something like they stopped you from doing a few things, but they couldn't stop you from working a horse. Yeah, I, will, I was advised not to drive. Um, cars? Uh, cars? Or what, car, cars, you mean? Drive, drive cars. Yep. Drive cars. Um, I was granted with work. I was um, doing telecommunications, like climbing routes. I was pretty much... Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't do anything, and um, yeah, pretty much the only, the only thing I could, the only thing I could do was um, yeah, work my horse. So he, and that was about it. You got this horse, Plain Ed. You, you had a winner back in 03, 04, and you've bobbed up with a few runners here and there, and uh, you brought Plain Ed through, and he's he's had the four starts, mate. How much does he mean to you, this horse? Um, yeah, Ed, Ed's very special. He, he's He's, he's no superstar, but he's got a. He's just got this personality. He's always at the gate. He's always waiting for you. Um, he, he throws his head. He throws his head into the head collar. He wants to do. He wants to be there. He, he's, he means everything to me. He means the world. Um, yeah. 
and I don't care. He's sort of like, I'd love to see him win a race, but um, he, he he loves to go around. He he loves he he loves the competitiveness. He's um yeah, he's got a few quirks, but yeah. Is he far off racing? Is he far off racing again? He had those few runs earlier in the season. He ran fourth last start. He's not far off when he races. Win him one. You know, he's not far off. He's, I'm hoping um, about another two more weeks. And we'll, we'll start looking for a race in about two to three weeks. Very good. And Andrew, take us a little bit through your involvement in harness racing. When did your passion for harness racing start and, and what fostered that? I went to high school with a bloke whose cousin was former trainer in South Australia, Terry Hoare. Yeah, okay. So I, I went out to the stables with him, and and got that's how I got the uh, got the bug there. He used to be stabled at old uh, the late Dick White's property on uh, Port Wakefield Road. Okay, so, so that was about a kilometre, about a kilometre from Globe Derby itself. So did you have a few horses and stuff as a younger as a younger lad, or anything like that, or just having a punt? No, it was more the punt. I had a a, a late uncle that was a, a all right jockey in, in the southeast round Mount Gambier way. Yeah, yeah. But apart from that, I just once I got to punting age, I just like to have a punt every so often on the trots, and then it just yeah, it just went from there. And you started going to the trots, and you got shares in a couple of horses that I know of, the Interceptor and Wendy's Watching. Are they the only two you've had shares in? No, I've actually. Bought off of um, David Miles's parents, Bally Cotton. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She won, she won, she won one for me. But I had a few uh, mates in it that I used to work with, and they sort of tried dictating where she raced and who she, who trained her and whatnot. So I sold her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I bought a horse off of Ashley Matthews called Meg's Classic. Yeah, yeah. She won, she won four for me, I reckon. Yep. Then, in the process of that, I bought a horse with uh, Barry Preston's uncle, Alan Preston, called the Red Team. She only had a couple of starts for us, and uh, I think, don't think she won a race for us. I might have lost patience with her at the time. So, so um, ha- having a f- share in a few horses, is it just a beautiful distraction away from the challenges you're, you're facing life? Oh, it is, because... If it wasn't for the horses, Emma and I would never have met. We, I seen her at the trots one night when my uncle was living in Australia, Mark Liddymore, that used to call the trots sparingly in South Australia. Mm-hmm. I yeah. used to used to go to the trots on a Saturday night after playing cricket. Potentially had a guts full of beer at the time. Yeah, and I said to Mark, I said to Mark, "Who's that?" He goes, "Oh, that's Emma. Such and she's tied up with such and such." I said, all right. So I stalked her on Facebook and uh, <laughs> met her at the met her at the trots one night, and the rest is history. Very good, mate. So, you, so tell us a little story about the Interceptor, our great friend of the program, Stevie Black, is in that horse as well. Yeah, we would we have got to know Stevie through uh, Michael Gadsden and Denby Wade. Yep. And I just messaged him on Twitter one day and said, mate, can we? about his horses, and I said, can we get into a like, Lisa share? In the, yeah, I've got one coming from New Zealand. Check it out. So we jumped at the chance. We've only got a 5% share, but it's all, we just buy it, get shares that we can manage. And when and when Apart he's, from that. Yeah, and when he's watching with Clint yep. McSwain, tell us about that one. I met Clint a um, number of years ago when I was working for prominent South Australian trainer, Jill Nielsen. Oh, yeah? 
and he come over with um, oh, his trotters now a broodmare, and I can't think of her name. Doesn't matter. But um, yeah, it doesn't matter. She he come over to race her in a in a race series in SA, and he stayed at Jules. So we've just stayed in contact then and there, and, and on Facebook, and he put a post up on his page about leasing this horse, and Emma and I took a five percent share in her as well. Got a bit frustrated early on. Not not with Clint, but just the way that Wendy was racing as a two-year-old and a, and an early three-year-old. But come late three-year-old and early four-year-old, she's the the uh, she's starting to put it all together. Yeah, she's been racing terrifically this season. She's won thirteen starts, four wins, four placings. Yeah, covering the bills. Covering the bills. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, was it was it special when she won at Horsham because you're able to be there? Oh. It was indeed. It was, and we said, we said to Clint, we, we're going to this meeting, and he goes, well, I'm going to reluctantly nominate the, a two-year-old and Wendy. But he said I needed to, a travelling companion for the two-year-old, so we uh, he chucked her on board, and yeah, the rest is history. Now, take us, Terry. Uh, you were on the radio last year, which I don't think you, you love being on the radio, but I forced you into it twice. Now you come on the radio and. Uh, how did you end up meeting Andrew? Um, well, there was a connection uh, through this show, actually, Toby. Thank you very much. Um, so from there, Andrew and I have um, been conversing via uh, Facebook Messenger and Twitter and the likes, and um, we finally met up about three weeks ago. And Andrew, uh, there's a bit more to it than just finally met up. You were coming to Victoria, and uh, where did you stay? Uh, we stayed at Terry's house, actually, Terry and Gail's house. We'd, uh, we'd planned to come over and stay at the Bacchus Marsh Caravan Park, and which is, coincidentally is not far from Terry's. Hmm. And we told Terry about it. He goes, yeah, I've done some work there, and it's not suitable. You, Emma, and the five kids are staying here. End of story. End of story. So you'd never met each other at this stage? No, just rocked up to his place, and obviously with with his job, he goes, I might not be home, Gail's working, going to have leave the key in such and such a place, make yourself at home. There's Coke in the fridge, there's Foxtel there, just un- unload the car and make yourself at home. So you stole, you stole half his possessions and took off? No, they were too heavy. <laughs> yeah, too heavy. You didn't do enough PT work, that's your problem. <laughs> Uh, no, I had a week. I had, to, I had to take a week off to so I could go on holidays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it must have been pretty, pretty nice to spend the week together. Or, or I don't know if it was a full week, but but spend some quality time together and and just share each other's stories and create that connection and that bond you've developed over the last year. Either of you? Oh yeah, it's been fan- it's been fantastic. Terry. Yeah, no, look, it has been fantastic meeting Andrew, Emma, um, and these five beautiful kids. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, being able to just talk and just, like, we've got interesting horse racing, cricket, um, just everything. So it's been really good um, making this connection and, um, yeah, lifelong friendship. Very good, gents. Thanks uh, so much for coming on to the program, both of you. It was a little bit different, sort of trying to do you both at the same time, but I think it's worked well, and um, 
it's a real badge of honour for this show. Uh, what's happened out of uh, Trot's life that you've become friends and and sharing sharing so many uh, commonalities between each other and creating that connection and uh, of everything I've done over this show over the last sort of eighteen months. That's uh, it's I'm pretty sure it's number one. I can't think of anything any better. So um, congrats to you both, and thanks so much for coming on. That's all right. One last thing, Toby. Yep. Yeah, look, thanks very much, Katie. Can I, um, can I just say, without you're doing my wife's... Hang on, you're both going at the same time. Andrew, go first. Without my wife's support and everything she does for me, I wouldn't be in the situation I am today. Thank you, Andrew. And Terry, sorry, mate. Yeah, no, Toby, I just wanted to thank you very much for... Um, for what you're doing for MS and the awareness and the sport for the, for the people, um, yeah, and um, all the connections that have been made. Thank you very much, both of you. Um, I look forward to seeing you both soon. Thank you. So there's... No worries. Thank you. Terry Sinclair and Andrew Littermore, a couple of uh, people I've developed a relationship with, and they both suffer from MS, and World MS Day is on Monday, May 30, next Monday. The theme is uh, connections, and whether you've got MS or not, let's just take a step back and, and value those connections and those relationships we have, and, and that's what harness racing is about. I know uh, there's an element of professionalism in it, and, and a person like Greg Sugars or Chris Alford, and I use them as just examples as professionals, or James Herbertson, you, you're not only in your workplace, you're creating those connections and friendships and relationships with people. There's a, there's a lovely group uh, chat I have uh, on my phone with uh, Stevie Blacker, who won't mind me saying he's in his 50s. Myself, I'm in my 40s. Uh, Mick Gadsden's in his 30s and James Herbertson is in his 20s. A variety of people within harness racing. And it just shows the connections that can be made and just through the commonality, we're not in similar age brackets. We live all over the state, but uh, those connections are made. And, and I look at, uh, at at Terry and at Andrew and uh, what they've done and been able to connect in the face of adversity as well. And it must be somewhat hard for Terry uh, to look at Andrew and seeing him in that wheelchair and, and knowing that, that that's there's a po- real possibility um, that, that could end up uh, you know, his his wife lives in fear, I suppose, of of uh, Terry himself being in a wheelchair. And uh, Terry, just keep training that horse for as long as you can, mate. And boy, I hope Plain Ed can win a race soon. Oh, it'll be very special when he does. So Patrick from Melton, great work, Toby, getting Andrew and Terry on. And good luck to them in general and their harness endeavours. Thank you, Patrick. And no doubt, Pat, uh, both of them wish you well as well. I know you had your first drive the other day. That is the story of Andrew Littimore and Terry Sinclair that we heard from on May 25, 2022. What a beautiful story it was as well. And let's get to the 12.30 news. We'll come back the other side. A little change of speed with Christy Butler and Jamie Cockshut, who are caught up with at some stage throughout the year. Uh, actually, we'll have that in front of you. May 20 it was, so it was only a few days before the Andrew Littlemore one. And this is a good fun chat about Samillion Beach, their horse. Welcome back to Trot's Life, and what a pleasure this has been looking back at some of our favourite chats from 2022. I'm enjoying it thoroughly. So many great people we've had on Trot's Life. These have just been a few of them. 
Let's go to a break. We'll come back the other side. And it's our great mate, Jamie Cockshut and Christy Butler. And Jamie had no idea I had Christy lined up. She trains his horse, Million Beach. And it's a great fun chat. And some very important uh, friendships have developed out of Million Beach and a special little boy in her son. Welcome back to Trot's Life as we head into our Taz Racing segment. Uh, Jamie, our guest is on the line, but I'm going to go to you first, mate. How are you and uh, all things well? And have you got any idea who we've got on the show? Oh, no, I'm going all right, mate. I'm pretty relaxing over here in Vietnam, Toby. But no, uh, I've got a bit of an idea who you might have on the show. No, throw a name out there, mate. Does he, does he drive a train? Trains? Yeah. Initials? S. No, incorrect. H. Christy Butler, Christy's on the line. How are you, Christy? Nah. Good, thank you. How are you? Oh, he's throwing his head back. I've got him up. He's, oh, he's not happy. No, don't get me wrong. I had two names. I thought it might have been Sue or Christy. Oh, yes. I had two names now. Now, for those that don't, don't know, uh, Jamie is a part owner in a horse called Samillion Beach who is trained by Christy. Christy... Just a bit of a background, uh, 36 years young, 22 wins. I know, uh, I think Mark's your partner. He was training for a long time. And tell us a little bit about uh, your career in the sport so far. Uh, yeah, so I was kind of bred into the industry uh, with my grandfather training for many years, uh, Dick Eves. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, from there, worked with him for many years. Um, also did a bit of work with Gator Pulicino. Uh From there, got my driver's license. Uh, I think I ended up driving 30 winners and had a couple of awesome falls. Mm. So I uh, chucked that in pretty quickly after that. And yeah, Mark and I got together, got married and had a child and here we are. Very good. So you've tra- been training now in your name for five years and I think Samillion Beach is probably the best horse you've had and it. 31 starts, 15 wins, nine placings. Didn't race for nearly 18 months. Tell us a bit about the journey with Samillion Beach to, to getting back for the last three starts where he's won twice. Yeah, well, we were lucky enough um, that we've been able to have him from from a yearling. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he's just been been a great horse from, from the word go, from two-year-old um, right through there. Then he had a bit of a mishap, broke his pedal bone, then he had his um, hoof detach. And, yeah, then from there we rehabbed him and now he's back. It's kind of a dream come true. He's won the Brighton Cup. He's won the Launceston Mile. How's Jamie been throughout this? Has he been one of those owners that just just pays the bills each month and doesn't doesn't hassle you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, Jamie and Barry have both been brilliant, actually. They've, they've allowed us to, you know, take take our time with him and, and do everything right by the horse, which is all you can ask for. Now, one more from me before I hand you over to Jamie. There's a $100,000 stand start race at Redcliffe coming up in about a month's time. I reckon you can take him up, have a working holiday and send Jamie the invoice for all your expenses. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, haven't looked at that. <laughs> <laughs> you hear where I'm going with this? We could have a holiday on on Jamie's credit card, basically. Yeah, well, he's on a holiday as well. It's only fair <laughs> if we all have one, isn't it? Yeah, correct. Jamie, mate, <laughs> uh, ha- come in and uh, 
you, you ask a question or two of Christy if you want. How you going there, Christy? Good, thanks, Jamie. How you going? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. No, like, um, yeah, like Toby said, you know, like, you know, we picked him out as a, we picked him out as a yearling. We brought him off Glen Ferry Farm because I had a, a bit of a love affair with some beach somewhere going back four or five years ago. I brought three or four weanlings and, um, you know, me, me and my partner in the horses, Barry Cooper. We paid a little bit of money for a few and, you know, like, um, yeah, cut a long story short, we had two yearlings at the same age, a horse called Street Kid and a horse called Similand <laughs> Beach. Yeah. I've never and actually, it. Mark was training Similand Beach at the time. And anyway, both trainers, Paul Hill had Street Kid and Mark had Similand Beach. And I'll never forget the story. Paul Hill told me, geez, we've got a really nice one here, really, really good one. And anyway, they both went to the spelling paddock at the same time. Then Mark come down and picked up one and he took home one and he said, mate, this horse has improved a shitload as a young horse. <laughs> and Wrong cut a long story short, they got they got mixed up <laughs> as yearlings. <laughs> um, Street Kid was a natural a natural young horse where um Similar Beach did take a little bit of time, but all in all, Similar Beach is, you know, he's always promised a lot. He did run second and ride high going way back at Launceston probably as a three-year-old or a late three-year-old. But um, to Christy and Mark's credit, they've done a wonderful job with me, mate. For any, any trainers to get a horse to win close to 50% of their races, yeah, from a two-year-old all the way through to open company. And, in fact, you know, I'm a pretty reserved owner. I don't get too carried away. But I've been excited about a win for a horse for a long time as what I was on Sunday night, to be honest, Toby. You know, like I've had a lot of winners over the years, a lot of nice horses, but... Just the story behind Similand Beach has touched me a little bit, and you know that's um, that's pretty big from someone like that. So I don't get pretty, I don't get attached to them too easy, mate. Christy, how much extra work is going into the horse compared to a normal horse with all those injuries? Is it bandaging and swimming and all extra stuff you got to do to just get him fit back to that level? Um, well, to get him back, once we knew he was good enough to start working. Um, it was 20 weeks at a slow jog. He literally just went out there for 20 minutes and jogged not, not much quicker than a walk. He just jogged around and did his own thing, and he did that for 20 weeks. Yeah. Um, it, was, it, felt like, it felt like forever, especially when you hit about the 15, 16-week mark because he felt really good. Yeah. Um, and then after that, he did about six weeks of pace work, so he did no fast work. Um, whatsoever, and then he was he was on to he had three trials after that, and then he was ready to sort of rock and roll. Um, we don't swim him, uh, we don't take him to the beach. We kind of spoke in hand with you know a couple of vets um, in America, um, and they said the hardest the harder surface that we can keep him on for leg injuries and foot injuries, the better. Mm-hmm. And it's just a case of getting the miles into his legs, and we've kind of followed their plan. Um, step by step and yeah well it's worked and he's yeah he's looking really really good and showing no signs of, of going sore again so we'll just keep sticking him to that hey the plans going forward uh you just can talk about it on air if you want if you haven't had the discussion i know jamie's got a race uh in mind next year is that the main target yeah yes i would say so yeah at the moment it'll just be a matter of you know take every day as it comes and, and keep him happy and sound and um, probably give him a couple of runs here and there, 
um, just to keep him ticking over. And then, yeah, we'll we'll have a look at some of our bigger races here later in the year. Very good, Jamie. Yeah, no, that, that's that's the plan, baby. But um, but yeah, I'd just like to um, reiterate, you know, the um, the effort that Christy and Mark have put into the horse over the last, you know, nine months. Like myself and Barry, like we'd more or less given up on him. Yeah. Until Christy contacted us about three months ago and said, you know, we want to give him another go. He, he feels great. He looks great. And for him to come back the way he has, mate, you know, like I honestly still can't believe it. His two wins have been, you know, super. Um, and I'm not one to get ahead of myself, but um, let's just hope he stays sound. You know, for mine and Barry's sake, and more importantly, Christy and Mark, so they're the one putting the hard work in with him. And we'll see where he gets to over the next 12 to 18 months, mate. Are you happier for yourself or for Christy and Mark, Jamie? Uh, I'm more happy for Christy and Mark. You know, look, me yeah. and Barry, we've had a lot of good horses, Toby, a lot of winners, but, you know, like, we are pretty reserved owners. Like, as you know, I do all the form for Tasmania, so... It's pretty hard for a trainer to try and put one over me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I appreciate the hard work that goes in to training a horse. And, you know, like, like Chrissy said, they've had him since a yearling. So I think he's a, he'd be six years now, maybe going on to seven. I'm not quite sure. So seven, he's yeah. more, more part of their family than what he is of ours, if you understand what I mean. So, and I know the young son, Ollie. He idolises yep. the horse and um, he's definitely got a special place in everybody's hearts up at, you know, the property up at, um, where is it, Chris? Lilydale, I think it is. Piper's River. Piper's River, yeah. yep. Piper's River, that's right, Piper's River. Christy, uh, we've got one up on him here, uh, you coming on without him knowing, so that's something we've got over him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, yeah, I, 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 I had a good hunch. Right? Someone asked me 10 minutes ago, who's a special guest? I said, it's either going to be Sooty or Christy. Oh, BS. And, no, well, he's <laughs> a verified. I've got it written down. And I thought, well, it could have been Simland Beach because you, you seen I put a tweet up last week and I never ever put anything on social media. I'm very well reserved. And I thought, I reckon his buddy seen that and he might have bloody tried to get Christy or someone on to. Yeah, but the other two names I put out there. And, Two or three people will tell you that. Christy, tell us tell us about Ollie. I've got a son named Ollie who's ten, so I'll probably uh, <laughs> I'll probably understand a bit of this and and tell us about Ollie yeah. and his love for the horse. Yeah, is your is your Ollie full on like ours? Uh, more more so. My Ollie's very special boy. He's uh, he's had a very very complex journey since day one. But uh, yeah, so your Ollie. Yeah. Uh, he's um yeah he's a little funny little he's, he's two and a half now. Yeah. Loves the horses. He's the boss, and every horse on the property is Harry. So Harry is Simulan Beach's nickname. Yeah. Um, he's been well. Well, since Ollie's been born, you know, he's, well, he goes everywhere with Harry. He went to all his vets appointments with Harry, and um, the horse just the horse just loves him ever since he was born in a pram down at the stables. You know, he'd, he'd pull his way over to the pram or. If, I was out doing the yards and Ollie was asleep in the pram. The other horses would go down the paddock. Harry would stay up at the fence and he'd start squealing and bucking if if the baby woke up. He'd let me know the baby's awake. Um, yeah, they've just kind of had a real special bond from, from day one. So, yeah, it's really nice for him as well to go to the races and, and see how he's going now. That's amazing. Do you think that's given the horse something else as well mentally to keep him like on on six... Six months of doing 20 minutes of slow work, is that something that he's attached himself mentally to as well, the horse? 
Yeah, he's just he's a he's just a special horse. He's almost half human. He's got the most character of any horse I've ever seen. Um, I don't know. He's just up there, up and about all the time. He wants the job to do. He wants to work. He's happy to do anything. Anything you throw at him, he just does. He's just got a really good attitude. Christy, thanks so much for coming on. We're a little bit late for the news, but it doesn't matter. What a beautiful story. And, and again, uh, thank you very much for coming on. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and best luck going forward with Samillion Beach. And I know all our listeners will be uh, following closely along over the next 12 months. Thank you very much. And what a wonderfully fun chat that was with Jamie Cockshut and Christy Butler. And once again, we thank Jamie for coming on each week and providing us with such great content, uh, plenty of tips, plenty of great stories from Taz Racing. I've enjoyed that side of it so much. I never really expected it or thought about it when I started this journey on Trot's Life. Let's get to a break. We're not too far off handing over to the one o'clock trackside team. Welcome back to Trot's Life and our two days is done of looking back at 2022 and some wonderful guests we've had across the year. And those look backs, David Caffin today, Mary Hannah, Andrew Littimore, Terry Sinclair, Christy Butler. Great to catch up on those stories. They were beautiful tales told in 2022. Yesterday, we caught up on Joel Watson, Jaden Bruin, Paul Wiedenbach, Matt Martin, Alicia Harrison, and Trevor White. A jam-packed couple of days, all from 2022. So many highlights. I look forward to another big year in 2023, bringing you more of that, that beautiful content and the stories of the people. Thank everyone that came on last year, all our contributors, all our co-hosts, all uh, Garrick Knight, Tim O'Cotter, the whole kit and caboodle, everyone that's helped out. Have a great afternoon. Enjoy what is a beautiful day here in Melbourne.